What do we need to know about the promise of innovative smart pump technologies, especially in light of a pandemic and the multiple clinical stressors faced by nurses today? Let's talk all about it with nurse infusion expert, Sue Niemeyer, right here on episode 308 of the Nurse Keith Show. Hey there, this is Nurse Keith. In these days of the COVID-19 pandemic, I'm still bringing you my monthly pandemic updates at the end of every month. Meanwhile, this podcast continues to be all about you, your personal and professional development, your nursing and healthcare career, and the healthcare system as a whole. And I'm here to share education, ideas, diatribes, and informative interviews with some of the most inspiring people from the worlds of healthcare, nursing, entrepreneurship, technology, medicine, and beyond. I love having you along for the ride. Whether you're new to the show or you've been on this journey with me for months or years, I thank you for being part of the growing Nurse Keith Nation. And remember that Nurse Keith Coaching is your destination for holistic career coaching for your healthcare and nursing career. And if you mention the show, you can get 10% off your first coaching package. Just shoot me an email at keith at nursekeith.com to set up a chat. The show notes for this episode where you can learn all about Sue and the work that she does will be at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 308. And as I said, I am joined today by new friend of the pod, Sue Niemeyer of Ivan. Com. Sue, we're going to talk about your stellar bio and what Ivanex does in the course of the conversation, but let's just jump into the deep end as I am want to do. And I want to ask you kind of a big picture question. What is going on in the world today, early 2021, as we look at infusion nursing and infusion safety in the context of a pandemic? That's a really great question, Keith. I think in order to provide complex care required by those critical critical ill patients who have COVID, um, nurses today have to implement practice changes to address those patient needs while also still kind of maintaining awareness of how much PPE they have along with reducing their interaction with someone who has been in a contagious mode. And they're also trying to respond to kind of the ease of using an infusion pump, um, all while they're caring for that patient who has COVID. And Mm. one of the typical practice changes I'm seeing is that nurses are moving that infusion pump away from the bedside and actually into a hallway or an anti-room outside of the patient's room. And that in itself has been creating a lot of questions out there in the industry and whether it's safe and technically how can they do that. Um, So I'd love to kind of elaborate on that topic if you're willing to kind of hear more. Yes, please. Uh, You know, a vast preponderance of the listeners of the show are nurses, whether they're leaders or clinicians or they work in research or in some other aspect of healthcare. And we're all worried about our brethren. And we're also worried about the patients, of course. And technology can be a great help. And as you know, technology can also trip us up. And there's things we want to do and don't want to do and best practices. So yeah, let's let's dial 
deeper into what you just said. And then we'll talk more broadly as well about infusion and infusion sets and the work that you've been doing out there. So let's let's continue along these lines because I like where you're going with this. Oh, certainly. So I think early in the pandemic, um, a lot of the hospitals in the Northeast, so we're talking about uh, the New York, New Jersey, and the New England states were first trying to manage the complex COVID patient while reducing their exposure and trying to conserve that PPE. I mean, that was in short supply at that time period during the first surge. And so they placed the, the infusion pump outside of the room. And of course, the door of the patient room has to be closed because you do have a highly contagious individual in there. And so the nurses felt that that was the best way to manage PPE while, again, interacting with an infusion pump. Mm. Now, clearly, that created some challenges. How do you do that and do that safely? You have kind of picture this, um, multiple IV pumps with the use of extra long extension sets draped underneath a closed door going to a very ill patient. And, you know, we know that in that time, it was hard to understand whether that was safe and that was effective on delivering infusions to the patient. But nurses in the times of adversity drive, you know, changes to their habits and make adjustments to protocols and they innovate all the time. So they, they did this to kind of ensure that they had the appropriate PPE at that time. And we know that, you know, having that infusion pump outside of the patient's room was allowing them to kind of intervene with the pump because you cannot have a pause in the delivery of many life-sustaining drugs that are being delivered to a patient who has COVID or even responding to any interruptions in care, such as an occlusion of the IV or air in the line or a bag is simply completed. So this is why in phase one of the surge, nurses were doing that. Again, placing three extension sets connected together to give them 15 feet of extra tubing to manage that. I guess in stage, you know, phase two or surge two over the summer, Mm -hmm. we found that nurses were feeling they had more supply of PPE and they're making a decision. Do we stay with this practice or not? And you see a mix of some hospitals, either putting them in the hallway or in the room. But now as we go through stage three or surge three, which is kind of um, throughout our entire U.S., we're seeing now more pumps go back into that hallway. And that, again, allows them to deliver the medication concurrently, they'll be able to manage it, et cetera, with no interruption. And and infusion pumps are, they're highly complex medical devices. And they're one of the medical devices that are most known with adverse events than any other medical device. And that's when they're at the bedside. So then suddenly you take them away from the bedside Mm -hmm. and you have to think about what else could happen. And so- Nurses are trying to figure that out. And it is very complex. You and I are recording this actually just before Thanksgiving. 
and this is airing, you know, a few months later. And I'm sure some things will have changed, but I'm sure Mm -hmm. things are still not going to be, well, I guess you could say they're still going to be pretty messy throughout the course of the winter. And we don't even know how messy they're going to get. So let's talk about this for a second. And then I want to talk more broadly as well. So when we have multiple extension sets, what do you see as the expert you are, as the the various issues that might come up with multiple sets strung together over, like you said, maybe 15 feet? Yeah, you have to be aware of those clinical implications and risk when pumps are outside a patient's room. Mm -hmm. So number one, look at your infusion pump and different pump and pump technologies operate different, which means the flow rate may be impacted. So an example will be a high number of pumps use peristaltic pumping. It's a pumping mechanism that essentially is rollers to propel fluid by pinching down on the tubing and delivering the fluid. Mm -hmm. There are other pumps that are more cassette-based. So they either use pistons or kind of a pneumatic mechanism to actually deliver a fluid very smooth and continuously. Mm. Now we found that peristaltic pumps, um, their flow rate accuracy is impacted when you change pressures. And what I mean by pressure is it's intake and outtake pressure. Intake is anything above the pump. So the, the location of the bags. Right. And outlet patient pressure is anything below the pump. So how it gets to the patient. So extra long tubing set creates additional pressures. The diameter of that tubing set, whether it be macrobore or microbore, affects the pressure, draping it under a door and then back up to the patient again mm-hmm. changes pressure. So what nurses are, you know, what I've found in my, my background as a nurse, um, found that a lot of the peristaltic pumps, although they say they are delivering at an intended flow rate, they are actually, what's actually occurring and going to the patient is something different. And so that's kind of something we as nurses need to be aware of. So if you program the pump at 15 mLs an hour, what's actually entering the patient may not be 15, but maybe much lower or higher. Mm. For some drugs, it doesn't matter. But for others that are high alert drugs, where you have to give in a very precise manner, you want to make sure it's delivered as exactly as intended. And this is something you have to be aware of when you have that extra long tubing set. In addition, there are other challenges you have to think about. There's tubing dead volume. So all that volume that requires from a priming in the tubing, when you prime 15 feet of tubing, that's a lot of fluid in there. And if you have a piggyback on top of it, when is that antibiotic going to get to the patient? And what if air gets into the line? How do you extract the air bubble from the line when you have 15 feet Mm. or even medication? Adhering to the tubing as it's going through 15 feet is um, extended. So these are things that as a clinician, you have to think about as well as incompatibles. It's not unusual for that COVID patient to have, um, you know, five, six, if not more pumps connected to them. And there are some drugs that are incompatible with each other. 
So how do you manage that in extra long tubing to ensure that there's no contaminants along the way or that may cause problems? So I think we as nurses, we have to almost refill <laughs> that we have to have PhDs and fluid dynamics as well as kind of analytics and, and all of that to understand how to care for that COVID patient when you're using the extra long tubing. So it's well, always smart to be aware of like what yeah. kind of pump you use. Yeah. And that's fascinating. And, you know, when this all first came about, we started hearing about these practices and I was hearing them about them directly from friends and colleagues out in the world. I was thinking, wow, that's brilliant. You know, running the, the line outside mm -hmm. the room and having the pumps in the, in the um, hallway and decreasing exposure and use of PPE. And then I hadn't considered all of these repercussions and maybe some of the nurses hadn't considered fully the repercussions either. And maybe even managers or executives out there in the world, because they're, everyone was kind of flying by the seat of their pants, especially back in the spring of 2020, mm -hmm. trying to figure out what to do, how to keep people safe. And this brings up a question for me of, well, we've talked about PPE shortages and shortages of swabs. And I think, well, what about IV tubing? You know, yes. if, if every unit in the country, let's say, or maybe let's say 70% of units are using three sets instead of one set, that's mm -hmm. three times more or maybe just two times more of those sets being utilized. And we know for a fact that in the course of 2020, all sorts of supply chains have been disrupted. So this is something that is, I'm sure we're going to be looking back at this through history and a lot's going to be written about this and a lot of research will have been accumulated over time because we've never done any of this before. Mm -hmm. So from your point of view, you know, from, we'll talk about Ivanex, the company that you work for most, we'll talk about about it at length in the second half of the episode, but you all produce um, a specific type of smart pump. And my understanding is it's the first FDA approved smart pump under the 2014 guidelines. And could you explain what that means when the FDA approved your pump? What does that actually mean? Oh, certainly. Um, so Ivanix is the first from the ground up to be cleared under the new guidelines that were essentially adopted in 2014. And why that's unique is we had the opportunity, oh gosh, you know, eight years ago to understand where the issues were mm -hmm. in delivering drugs to patients. Um, we all had personal stories as, you know, whether it was a, a, an adverse drug event happened to a family member or we as ourselves were impacted by a bad experience with the IV pump, mm. but we mm. felt that we needed to change that. So we looked at a lot of the data out there and interviewed hundreds of nurses and pharmacists and biomed and IT and thought, okay, here's all the data. And let's go to all the data sources too. The FDA has a wealth of information. Where do we start? Where do we go from here? And so we, from the ground up, looked at the problems and said, okay, from here, let's make a better pump based on 
really a, a sound mechanism, sound data, and, and information that we feel is incredible, incredibly valuable. Mm-hmm. So Ivenix was cleared as an infusion system. So that includes not only a pump, but the administration sets, mm-hmm. whole IT behind it, all the accessories, networking. We thought of that also how it impacts the patient, the environmental use, even the clinician. And that's really unique. We didn't think of it as just a medical device, but holistically as a whole system. I see. Now, and we'll, we'll talk more about the, some of the details of that after, but what, how does the FDA look at, at pumps and especially smart pump technology, which is, would you say it's in its infancy? I think smart pumps came into effect in 2002. So maybe they're toddled in the toddlerhood yeah. <laughs> rather than infants. Yeah, but what happened in 2009, 2010 is there were a large number of recalls going on in the industry. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, um, one of the pump manufacturers in 2010 was directed by the FDA to essentially destroy their pumps. And there was probably a quarter of a million of pumps of their pumps out there in US hospitals. And so it was deemed unsafe and um, problematic. Mm. And so this pump manufacturer had to either replace or reimburse or you know, change the lease for every pump that they, they sold. And in doing so, the FDA was quite frustrated at that time. And so in 2010, they convened as a smart pump summit and said, how do we change this? And brought all the industry experts together on pumps and, and essentially what they did and released kind of new pump, new pump guidelines in 2014. Hmm. And the guidelines are interesting. So any pump that is cleared, at least from the ground up, has to adhere to these guidelines. And some of the guidelines include um, a safety insurance case. So it's essentially a, a body of valid scientific evidence that provides a case that the pump is adequately addresses hazards, safety hazards, et cetera. So you need to prove that your pump does that and does it well and have the data and the evidence behind it. You also need human factors. Oddly enough, all pumps before then didn't have to have any usability studies and analysis behind why they designed it. Now pumps do. So you need to have proof of validation that there are no use errors that could um, be um, um, in place that could affect care. So all of those had to be integrated into de- to the design of the pump from a human factors. And, and they also said training is unacceptable for mitigating a use error. So mm-hmm. we feel, you know, as a pump, as the FDA said, we want minimal training to no training be the best practice. And so Sue, we want it so Sue, ease of use. Mm-hmm. Can I ask a question really quick though, just before you go on? Yeah. So you said that there were no guidelines around a pump actually needing to be in terms of usability, like the, the user interface. Yeah, but is that what you said? That is correct. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I had to make sure that, yeah. that was what you said. Yeah. Wow. And that's that why they look so complex. And you look at all the pumps that mm-hmm. are used in any hospital today that were developed 15, 20 years ago. And that's why they look like they're 
should be, you know, a part of the Smithsonian, you know, <laughs> in some shelf. They're just solely, so, so very complex to use. They don't have any requirements from human factors and, and now pumps do. I see. Thank you for explaining that yeah. uh, because it's always been a point of contention for me personally, just, well, as a professional and especially in conversations I've had on this show and with colleagues that a lot of medical devices are are designed by designers who are not end users and right. the end users often are not involved in the the design conversation and the prototyping and testing conversation. And that to me always, especially in the case of, I mean, I can see like someone designing a blender or a toaster and maybe they're not getting a whole lot of feedback from the public, the, the end user about the usability of that blender. But we're talking about devices that save people's lives oh, exactly. and have to keep people safe and also be usable by the by the clinician. Mm-hmm. So we're not talking about a toaster or blender. So <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's it's mind boggling that mm-hmm. that these devices are in use in 90% of patients today that yes. don't require any human factors analysis behind them. Wow, that is fascinating. New pumps do, and um, and also have to prove accuracy. When I talked about, you know, that COVID case of that patient having the extra long tubing, and then (laughs) and and there's in what you think you programmed on the pump is not actually being delivered to the Mm -hmm. patient. Now you actually have to have a specified accuracy. It has to prove it works in all changing clinical conditions. And I think that's really important. I mean, think about it. If you had a garden hose and draped it over a fence and around, you know, your car and everything, Mm -hmm. you're going to see different kind of flow when you do that. (laughs) You're going to see it kind of spurt out and squirt and everything. And, And that's unacceptable. And so new pumps need to have, say, once you drape that, analogy again, drape it over a fence and around it, it should always be flowing at the same rate, mm. regardless of what's happened. And it also, all of this needs to kind of fit within the modern digital age. It has to be cyber secure. <laughs> I mean, it's yes. not uncommon that you have these people trying to hack into medical devices and then suddenly you have, you know, you have an, an issue in hand when a life-sustaining drug is being delivered and someone has access to the pump. So cybersecurity is critical in new pumps today, along with, you know, we know pumps are mobile and we ensure that they can't be, um, there can't be any interference from EMC and, you know, with RFID and electrical, et cetera. So all mm-hmm. of that kind of fits under what the FDA says is the new guidelines is you need to prove this with a body of knowledge and evidence that you're essentially safe and effective. Wow, this is, it's much more complex than many of us would ever think. Even some of us clinicians, actually, especially <laughs> clinicians like me who've not been practicing recently. So mm-hmm. when we come back from the break, I want to dig more into a lot of what we're talking about here and issues around infusion drug libraries and things that the industry are excited about. And then talk about Ivenix and what you all have been doing, because I wanted to make sure we highlight the work you've been doing. So when we come back from the break, we'll dig more into that. And thanks for listening to episode 308 of The Nurse Keith Show. 
So now we're going to take a pause for the cause for just a moment. Please consider becoming a patron of The Nurse Keith Show, just like other awesome listeners who value the show so much that they want to give just a little bit each month to support the work we're doing here. When you pledge, you not only get the satisfaction of helping produce and support The Nurse Keith Show, you also get some pretty cool premiums and gifts from yours truly. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash Nurse Keith to read all about it. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Nurse Keith. And if you know someone who could benefit from career coaching with me, please consider referring them. And if they become a paying client, you'll receive credit for an hour of coaching with me. And there's no expiration date on that credit, so you can keep it in your back pocket until you need it most. And remember that you can refer as many people as you like and continue to earn those coaching credits. What an incredible deal. And please head over to nursekeith.com and sign up for my newsletter, which comes out regularly and brings you supportive messages, updates from my blog and my podcast, resources, and all sorts of other stuff. Remember, nursekeith.com, sign up for that newsletter, and you'll also get a free download from me as my gift to you. Anyway, those are my sincere asks today. So now, Let's dig back into today's topic without further ado. And welcome back to the second half of the Nurse Keith Show. Remember, the show notes will be at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 308 to learn more about Sue Niemeyer and ivenix.com and the work that they're doing in infusion. And there's so much to talk about still, Sue. And prior, we were just talking about this notion of hacking and um, keeping pumps safe um, on the cyber security side. And we were also talking about these extra long triple infusion sets, extension sets we're using when we have the pumps outside the rooms during COVID, et cetera. So you've shared some very interesting notions and concepts here. And, you know, I mentioned blenders and toasters before, but mm-hmm. over the last five years, not a laughing matter actually, that that household appliances that are smart and connected to what I guess is still called the internet of things or was being called the internet of things. We were seeing potential for people being able to hack in to home security, you know, in terms of internet security through these different devices connected to the internet. So let's extrapolate that out from a home with a, toaster, a microwave, an oven, a refrigerator, et cetera, connected to the internet of things, to a hospital, a very high-tech hospital, let's say here in the United States. So if we have a smart pump that is actually connected to the, the, um, the cyber, uh, what would you call it, the, the connectivity throughout the hospital and is also connected to the EMR, Mm-hmm. What are the cybersecurity concerns there? How would you address that? What is important is in the selection of the infusion pump that you bring IT into the decision making to ensure that the proper credentials and certificates are a part of the requirement in that infusion pump selection. But more importantly, you want to ensure that your entire IT 
backbone within the hospital is cyber secure. Mm-hmm. We know infusion pumps are connected to Wi-Fi. We know right. that they're connected to the electronic medical record. True. They can also be connected to alarm management systems. All that poses an opportunity to essentially be hacked. But from the pump itself, you want to ensure that if it is hacked, number one, you want to prevent it from being hacked. But we know that there's evolution of technology and there always will be, you know, that 20-year-old person in a room just kind of plugging away. If it is hacked, you want to make sure you're able to recover and you're able to exclude them and take them off and you're able to get your pumps back into service. And those are things that are important as you select a pump that you have those practices in place and your technology is essentially malleable to work within those requirements. So that's really from an IT perspective, ensuring that that IT expert is a part of the decision-making early on with your current, with your new infusion pumps. That makes sense. And as hospitals become even more reliant on smart technologies like sensors that are connected to the bed or Mm -hmm. all different sorts of sensors and different types of devices that are all connected into the EMR, like maybe um, bedside uh, glucose monitors that are then connected directly to the EMR. There's mm-hmm. all these points of entry in terms of security, and that, that makes a lot of sense. And when we look at, if we pull the camera back and talk about infusion in general, and not necessarily about smart pumps, but let's just let's just look at the bigger picture. So looking through your website at ivenix.com, I saw a few things that jumped out at me. So one is I saw this notion of, and it's not a notion, I guess it's a scientific fact, of tube breakdown from chemicals. So what is a nurse working in infusion or working in a milieu where she or he is performing a lot of infusions, which you said is a vast majority of patients, what do they need to understand about tube breakdown and what do they need to watch for? And again, many of our listeners are clinicians, so some might be listening quite closely to understand what they should be looking for. Oh, certainly. I think you're referring to like the tubing with the administration set or even an in- mm-hmm. or just general administration set. Right. In that respect, I think it's critical that you look at every administration set to ensure that it is PVC DEHP free. Sometimes you also see it labeled as PVC free low sorbing. And let me okay. kind of back this up and explain what that is. Yeah, tell me. So PVC is essentially polyvinyl chloride. It's, it's a plastic and um, it is very hard and brittle at room temperature. So what do you need to do to make that into tubing? You add plasticizers to make it soft and flexible. And plasticizers are essentially additives. You know, they are known to be toxic. And the toxic breakdown of PVC is DEHP. And many medical devices in the US have PVC. Now, when you're talking about tubing an administration set from an IV pump to a patient, mm-hmm. you want to make sure that your tubing does not have PVC and there's no 
DEHP. And they, we know that that has negative effects on care delivery, on the interaction on the patient. What actually happens if you have tubing of that way, it can cause adsor- adsorption or leaching. So adsorption means that the medication doesn't stay in suspension, but it essentially adheres to the tubing and into the bag. And so what you get to the patient or what arrives to the patient is not like essentially evenly distributed. So, oh, and, and you mentioned that in the first half, you mentioned mm-hmm. something about medication kind of adhering to the interior of the yeah. tube. And those common meds from an adsorption, you know, things mm-hmm. like insulin or nitroglycerin or mm-hmm. lorazepam, these are common drugs that cause issues when you have a PVC in your tubing. Oh, so dear. again, okay. another reason why not to. And the second thing is that leaching that I was talking about. So leaching, leaching is, means the release of DEHP from those kind of containers that have PVC. And a number of drugs will essentially kind of take on that leaching. Um, many lipids, for example, are that mm-hmm. way. So again, you want to, when you're selecting your tubing set, just make sure that it's PVC, DEHP free. And I, I think you'll be in good shape with that. Okay. But we, so you know, nurse- if I, so a nurse who's concerned about this should really read the packaging, ask to see the materials that came with the, the um, tubing that they're looking at, and they can dig deeper if they want to, to, to make sure they understand what the tubing is made of in order to protect their patients. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, we referenced, you know, COVID early on in our segment and, mm-hmm. and, and it goes back to talk about the supply of all those administration sets during COVID and being aware of reviewing kind of the labeling on all of those administration sets. But we know administration sets just kind of generally are good for about 96 hours. That's what the Infusion Nurse Society, INS, recommends. Yes. That's what most manufacturers recommend. But then there are also kind of those tubing sets that you want to change more frequently. And mm-hmm. we talk about that COVID patient again, remember really high acuity, critically ill, on a ventilator. And when you're on that ventilator, you're also sedating them and you're giving them drugs like propofol. Mm-hmm. Propofol, um, much a, sed- a sedative, it's widely used in anesthesia. Um, it's, it's a drug that is, has a high kind of nutrient-rich emulsion and it's called, called an intralipid, mm-hmm. and it's prone to microbial contamination. So whenever you interrupt the, the flow by doing a push or changing anything, it could be um, cause for this growth of bacteria. I see. So you okay. want to change the tubing for your COVID patient who has on propofol, not every 96 hours, but every 12 hours. So suddenly you're like, oh my goodness, you know, my common patient COVID, I'm changing tubing all the time. Mm -hmm. So it it just creates a lot more complexity back to that COVID patient again. Right. Oh gosh. Right. We could, we could go on about that, but I want to talk about some other issues too. So from your perspective, what are the major culprits when it comes, we've talked about tubing, we've dived into that a little bit. Now let's talk about pumps. What are the major culprits in pump failure in general, like in the bigger picture? 
Sure. So if I kind of put it in a number of categories, and the FDA does a really nice job at this. And by the way, if you go to the FDA, they have a dedicated landing page just on infusion pumps. So I should tell you everything about some of the problems that they've they've seen in the industry, but they kind of fall into predominantly four four categories, you know, medication delivery errors. So it's either over-infusion under infusion or just delay of the infusion. So that's a kind of a failure you see with the pump. Mm-hmm. Others are silent failure. So that's pretty scary to me. The pump just stops working and you're delivering kind of a high acuity, high alert drug, yeah. life sustaining and just stops. Pretty scary. And it also can be illegible software on that pump or the alarm mm-hmm. fails or the power just shuts off. Yeah. So silent failures. The third is human factors. So from a, from a pump issue is, and we talked a little bit about this already, but that cryptic UI and complicated, that spaghetti network of tubing associated or how you require lots and lots of training to do a very simple task. I mean, it goes back to kind of the core of human factors and, yes. and that needs to be resolved. Right. And UI means user interface. That's so, right. so yes. pumps can be problematic. The, the extension sets can be problematic. Mm-hmm. The type of tube and what the tube is made of or not made of is problematic. Mm-hmm. And then we have the medications and the way they interact with what the tube is or isn't made of. Sure. So it's, this isn't a, this is not rocket science, but it's pretty close. Oh my so gosh, yeah. what about, I saw something on the Ivenix website about dr- infusion drug libraries and that yeah. there's been some studies regarding that. I had never heard of an infusion drug library and I don't think we have one in Santa Fe. Um, <laughs> so can you explain what an infusion drug library is? Sure. So that, I think that's kind of the premise of how they define that smart pump. You know, when I talked about 2002 is when they introduced smart pumps. Mm-hmm. And essentially that was the introduction of the drug library into a pump. Um, so it's a dose error reduction system. Um, so it's embedded within that software of how it's, you know, the drug is is delivered. So it kind of allows you to um, set the right concentration, concentrations and dose, and it guides that clinician to kind of more of a safer workflow than just letting them program whatever they want. And so you want within a hospital, your nurses to predominantly, I would say over 95% of the time to use that drug library because it's set up by your medication safety committee. You've looked at the appropriate drugs that should be delivered. You looked at the concentrations that they come to the, to the patient as and the right dose, et cetera. And then from there, the nurse selects those menus and delivers the drug exactly how it should be delivered. I see. Without it, you're, it's the Wild West and it, you're at risk, essentially. Well, Santa Fe is in the Wild West, but that's not a <laughs> conversation. Now, let me back up a second. So is the drug, and pardon, please pardon my ignorance, but my ignorance is actually can be elucidating for the audience. So um, is the drug library programmed into the software for the brand of pump they're using, or is the drug library something that exists within the EMR and the software that the entire hospital is using? So actually the drug library which is for the hospital is 
within your infusion pump. So based on your drugs that you deliver at that hospital, Mm -hmm. based on your patient population of what you see is acceptable, I call it limits and alerts. It all kind of, you know, is fit within and customized for your hospital. And so again, the intent is to guide that clinician, the nurse, as they're delivering the drug in a very safe way. So it's very much tailored to kind of the needs of the the hospital. Oh, okay. Now I understand. So it's definitely not a library. I'm going to go visit myself. Okay. (laughs) That makes sense. Okay. So Sue, as we slowly begin to wind down here, I want to point out that you are a nurse yourself and you're the chief nursing officer at Ivenix Incorporated and you are responsible for product development, marketing, service operation, nursing and pharmacy teams all within Ivenix and you went to the Missouri School of Nursing and St. Louis University and you've been involved in informatics and research and technology development for a long time and in the context of your work with Ivenix, as the chief nursing officer, you talked about how, you know, the FDA approved your smart pump. You were the first smart pump that was FDA approved under the 2014 guidelines. So one thing I understand about your pump, this particular pump, is that it feeds directly into the EMR and the nurse actually validates what the pump is doing within the EMR. Is that right? They're, they're completely connected? Yes, they are. So we call that interoperability. So interoperability. Okay. you actually scan, you know, the patient's wristband and the drug and the pump and, and that provider's order, the physician's order mm-hmm. appears on the pump. And so the nurse accepts it and the pump is programmed for them. So no longer are you relying on that drug library, that nurse kind of walking through those steps. Mm-hmm. But, but what's been ordered by the provider is just on the pump and the nurse is essentially presses start. Now, I see. Okay. Taking away those manual steps, mm-hmm. as well as kind of things that they may have been error prone, you know. So I done automate it for them. And all that data about what's being delivered to the patient flows to the electronic medical record. So that patient's record. So think of it as a clinician, as a nurse. When you, at the end of your shift, you always did your totals and your meds and mm-hmm. you had to kind of think about and do your math. Right. That actually no longer is required for the nurse. So it's actually flows into the medical record. The nurse opens up the flow sheet and says, I see all the data there and they accept it within the flow sheet. So no longer are they you know, in the, in the mode of transcription, but they're just simply in the mode of validation. So and then it takes away extra steps that the nurse would normally have to do in order to, okay, I, I gave it, now I go to the EMR, now I enter it in, now I approve it, sign off on it. They're not having to do all of those extra steps in the course of every single infusion they've given throughout 12 hours. Yeah, yes. And it, and it creates okay. such great efficiencies and it lets the nurse do what they do so well. It's that cognitive mode. They're mm-hmm. less in the administrative mode, which is not why we got into nursing 
to start with. True. To be a record True. keeper, we, we wanted to be at the bedside. So it lets us function at the bedside as a real nurse mm-hmm. and let the technology do what it should be doing and give them a decision point of, is this acceptable? Yes or no? And go from there. So I see. Great okay. time saver. Yeah. And now in terms of Ivenix, was the company created around the creation, design, production of this particular pump? Or did the company exist prior? And was this pump one of just the the newer innovations that the company has been involved in? So we're essentially kind of a new entrant. So from the ground up, we thought of all those, we we collected the data, Mm -hmm. looked looked at where the failures are occurring in the industry. And from there developed the infusion system, the infusion pump. And so we thought of it different over the past, you know, six to eight years. We weren't pump people. So if you you looked at us, we're not going to be from who you conventionally see as kind of folks who have lived and died in this industry for years. But we were fresh thinking that really looked at it in a very analytical way, made the data tell us where we should focus our time and our efforts on. And we felt by really good design and really good technology, meaning IT, that we can actually drive change. And so that's how our pump kind of grew up. And we continually tested all of our theories as we grabbed this data and we categorized it and we felt that design made sense. We would bring nurses into our office and it was constant, absolutely constant, bringing them into the office, getting their feedback, measuring their outcomes of what's worked, what doesn't, and then modifying the design from there to a point in which we got, we felt we were in a really good place that it was solid, no use errors along the way, really met the clinician's needs. And clinician, nurses and anesthesiologists, one of the fun things I remember from from a couple years ago is Mm -hmm. when we were getting ready to go to the FDA, we had to prove that this was essentially not causing use errors, critical use errors with and, and harm to a patient. So how do you do that? So we had consultants come in and from our usability, we brought nurses in and anesthesiologists and we said, okay, individually, they had to go through this complex, you know, workflow scenario. And then we introduced chaos mm-hmm. and interruption. And so I use the analogy, we let them go down to the dark alley by themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then we wanted to measure them to see, did they make errors along the way? And, and half of that group was trained on our pump and half the group came in with no knowledge about how to use our pump. And we had to, in both sides, prove no use errors took place. And wow. that's a pretty okay. big hurdle. That's <laughs> a pretty high standard. Okay, yeah. so so the company has really been in existence be- and the the pump has been the the centerpiece, let's say, okay. of yeah. of the company. Now, you can't share proprietary information, but I do know that the industry in general might be excited about certain innovations coming. And I bet, I just bet that COVID is driving innovation in this area as well as others. And, you know, there's people are thinking and innovating and trying to figure out 
you know, how to deliver drugs more efficiently and how to make nurses work easier and more efficient so that they can be at the bedside, like you said. So what are you personally, Sue Niemeyer, what are you excited about? And again, you don't, you're, you don't have to share proprietary information, mm-hmm. but what's coming down the road, let's say between 2020 and 2025 or 2030 that you think might be really cool that people might want to just be excited about and kind of keep their eyes peeled for? Oh, sure. There's so many great things on the horizon, just generally for the industry. I think during COVID, there was a a lot of interest in remote management of the infusion pump. Mm -hmm. So can you remotely change the programming and interact with the pump without actually being at the bedside? Mm -hmm. I think that's going to take off and that's going to move beyond COVID for future pandemics as well. So remote management is one area that I think is interesting as far as an innovation. I see. But more importantly is we call it closed loop infusion. So this is your infusion pump connected to your physiological monitor mm-hmm. and other medical devices. And they're all talking with each other. So when your blood pressure drops and it's registered on your physiological monitor, then it changes the flow of your IV. So if that Mm. drug is delivering a drug that you want to increase the the pressure, it immediately responds. You know, so to have those work together from a closed loop is pretty powerful. We've been talking about that for years. And I really think over the next few, it's going to happen. And that is going to change the industry as well. I think a third thing is personalized medicines. We all know that, you know, we as individuals react different to certain drugs. And I think infusion pumps are going to play a part into that in the future of, you know, me with my blood type, with my own genetic breakdown, what drugs work with me, with my pump, and then how do I affect with my monitor around it, as well as lab results, in laboratory kind of weaved all in together. I don't think this is too far off into the future. I think all Mm. of these things are going to be around in the next few years and it is going to transform the industry. So I'm really excited about those three areas, remote management for my near-term COVID, but Mm -hmm. the, the closed loop and the personalized medicine with infusion delivery, again, those are the really kind of cool and fun stuff that I'm sure will happen. Wow. Thanks for sharing those. Those are really interesting. And to bring it back to that comparison or metaphor with the home kitchen, you know, Mm -hmm. where you have various appliances in the kitchen that can talk to each other, or, you know, you can look on your smartphone and see the inside of your refrigerator and know what you need from the store Mm -hmm. and actually order things that you need through your phone or, or people being able to, you know, change the temperature in their home from a thousand miles away or whatever it happens to be, or being able to monitor mom's medication box because it's a smart medication box. And you can see that she took her meds at noon because the, the alarm was tripped that she actually opened the box and took the medications or at least least took them out. You can't (laughs) monitor that they made it to her mouth, but you know, Smart technologies have worked their way into the home. They've worked their way into our cars. They've worked their way, obviously, into 
the clinical space in healthcare, and then many other industries as well that I know nothing about. So um, this has been really fascinating to talk about Ivenix. And if people want to learn about Ivenix, it's I-V-E-N-I-X. And I know they can go to Ivenix.com. I know you're on Facebook and Twitter and you're on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Is there anywhere else they should go to find information or is the, the main website really the central clearinghouse for everything they would need to know about Ivenix and the system? I, I believe our website is our best storefront and you can you can go from there, you know, mm-hmm. into our other social channels as well. So great. Great. And we'll have everything listed in the show notes. And Sue, this has really been fascinating. And it'll be really interesting to watch the development of all these other technologies you just touched on too, because I think it's exciting. And you know, the pandemic obviously has been and continues to be and will be a stressful time. But we also know that these stressful times also drive innovation. So mm-hmm. that's what we can hopefully we'll be able to take away from this period of time once we can catch our collective breath and see that innovation has been happening. And then we can take it to, like you said, because there will be another pandemic, there will be more emergencies, there will be more public health crises. And all the work you're doing in Ivenix and that others in the industry are doing, it all kind of works seamlessly or not so seamlessly together to eventually affect the nurse at the bedside. And that's really where the rubber hits the road in terms of what we talk about here on the show. So thank you so much. You've really been wonderful. And this has been fascinating. Thank you, Keith. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nurse Keith Show. And remember, the show notes will be at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 308, where you can learn all about Sue Niemeyer and Ivenix and their FDA approved smart pump and their technologies therein. I hope you feel uplifted and informed from this episode, and I encourage you to take inspired action every day in the interest of your personal and professional satisfaction. And remember to reach out to me, Nurse Keith at nursekeith.com. If you're in any need of career coaching at this point in your career trajectory, the Nurse Keith Show is a member of Ars Longa Media, a collaborative network of podcasts and media entities dedicated to professional education and partnering to improve social ills. They're at Ars Longa Media. That's A-R-S-L-O-N-G-A dot media. The Nurse Key Show is also a proud member of the Health Podcast Network, one of the largest and fastest growing collections of authoritative podcasts taking on the tough topics in healthcare with empathy, expertise, and excellence. You can find the Nurse Keith Show Amplify Nursing from University of Pennsylvania, the Mayo Clinic, the New England Journal of Medicine, Sanjay Gupta, and many more top podcasts. The Nurse Keith Show is adroitly produced by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting, and Mark Cappiespeason is our stalwart social media ringmaster. I'm grateful to Rob and Mark for keeping the wheels turning in the right direction. Be well, dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch. This is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico, and friend of the pod, Sue Niemeyer, saying see you later from North Andover, Massachusetts. North Andover, Massachusetts. Thank you, Sue. Thank you, everyone. And we will catch you on the flip side.